for those of you that are visiting, those of you online watching, maybe for the first time, we have been in a series over this Christmas season called The Songs of Christmas. And, well, they're not really songs, they're sayings, but we call them songs, and we have been done that for forever and ever as a church, not this church, the church in general. Anyway, never mind. Uh, so today, our, uh, our song is the angel song to the shepherds, which is really appropriate uh, on Christmas Eve. And so if you got a device or you got a Bible and you'll want to turn to uh, Luke chapter 2, so if you're new to the Bible, um, you can just about uh, two-thirds through the Bible, you'll find the New Testament. And once you find the New Testament, it says Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. You want to go to chapter 2, or if that doesn't work for you, go to the table of contents, and uh, it'll actually give you a page number there, so that'll help. Now, one of the kooky things that we've been doing over this Christmas season is, um, we, I don't know why, but anyway, I got into doing these, these bloopers, these, uh, not bloopers, sorry, groaners, and so uh, here's this morning's groaner. Why did Santa say, what did, sorry, what did Santa say to Mrs. Claus while they were looking up into the night sky checking the weather? It looks like rain, dear. Somebody sent me this. It's not really a groaner, but it's cute. While driving in Pennsylvania, family caught up to an Amish horse and buggy. The owner of the buggy obviously had a sense of humor because attached to the back of the buggy was a handwritten sign, energy efficient vehicle, runs on oats and grass, caution, do not step in exhaust. (laughs) How many of you were here last Sunday? Come on, how many of you here were last Sunday? How many of you remembered what I told you I once got for Christmas as a crazy gift? I got three prior uh, tire pressure checkers, whatever those things are called, gauges, that's right, tire pressure gauges, and I got a pair of silk lime green Santa underwear. I don't know where the others are, the, the last piece is, but this morning, the Day family gave me a fourth <laughs> tire gauge. Now, I got to say, that's pretty generous, don't you think? Like, talk about going out of your way. So I just want you to know, right now at my house, I have one tire gauge per tire, Now, the problem is we have two vehicles, and that means eight sets of tires. Never mind. Let's stand together. And let's read. I am reading the red, and this is Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 8. And this is what it says. And in the same region, and this is one of the most familiar texts of all Christmas. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Then, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Well, you're having a good day today. Well done. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for the tremendous exhibition, demonstration, revelation of your love for us in through and as Jesus Christ. And Lord, we thank you as well for your spirit, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Christ, the spirit of truth, who takes everything that you've accomplished in Jesus and makes it applicable and available in our lives. And so we pray this morning, give us a voice to speak, give us ears to hear, hearts to understand, and minds to comprehend. And then as we leave this place, in our marriages, in our families, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our places of work, in our places of recreation, in our city, Lord, and in our world, We pray that we would live out your truth as your followers, as your disciples, in tangible, physical, meaningful ways. In Christ's name, amen. Why don't you be seated? Now, there are three messages of Christmas in our text that I have discovered. And those three messages are simply this. There is what I call the emotional message, and there's the eternal message, and there is the earthly message. Now, the emotional message has two components, fear and joy. Now, it's what I call the fear factor. And Luke chapter 2 verse 10 says, And the angel said to them, Fear not. Now, I want you to think for a moment, and I certainly don't want anybody to say it out loud. Have you ever been really afraid? Have you ever been really afraid? Can you think of a time, an experience, a happening, where you were really afraid? Well, while you're thinking on that, what is it that makes us afraid? What's our greatest fear or phobia? Now, I didn't know this before. You probably did, but I didn't know this before, that there is actually a difference between fear and phobias. Uh, Fear is a normal, natural human emotion. And we all experience it. We all feel it. And so, for example, we may have a fear of flying. And in normal fear, we can sort of push through the fear and get on the aircraft. But phobias are different. Phobias are specific, they're extreme, and they're incapacitating. So for example, if you had a phobia, or I had a phobia about flying, we would not be able, it would would hinder us from actually getting on the aircraft. It's debilitating. But why is there so much fear 
in the Christmas story. Did you know that in the Christmas story, there are four fear nots? There are four do not be afraid statements. There's one to Zechariah, there's one to Mary, there's one to Joseph, and of course, the shepherds are some very frightened people. But the message, fear not. The message, do not be afraid, also comes to a very frightened world. It comes to us. It comes to us in our time in 2017. And I don't know if you've noticed, but there's a lot of people that are afraid. We're afraid of other people. We're afraid of other nations, particularly right now North Korea. We're afraid of other races, people who are different from us, and other religious groups, people who worship different than we do. We're afraid for our security and our safety. We're afraid for our lives, and we're afraid for our jobs, and we're afraid of of violence and crime, and we're anxious, anxious about the future, anxious about our children and grandchildren, anxious about health, anxious about the economy, anxious about the world. And into this anxiousness, into this anxiety, into this fear, and phobia comes fear not. Do not be afraid. Fear not is one of the key themes in the Christmas story, as is the joy factor. Comfort and joy are the very opposite of fear and being afraid. In verse 10, the angel says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now, I'm going to make a confession to you. I have not always enjoyed or liked the word behold. First of all, because it's not a word that we use in everyday speech, and it's a, a word from Shakespeare's time, and it's a, it's a little King James version-ish. It's, I mean, who talks like that? And behold, my wife just came into the room. But I didn't like, and, and I find the word a little too religious, until I found out what it meant. Behold is one of the favorite Bible words. It's a call to attention. It says, listen to this. Matter of fact, behold is more often than not used about God. And it's always, almost always used with an exclamation mark at the end of it. It means, don't miss this. It says, stop, look, and listen, because what follows is important. Behold, I bring you great good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And there is no joy like it in all the world. Somebody said that earth's mirth is small. Heaven's joy is immeasurable. And here's the other really good news. It's for you. It's for you. It's for you. It's for me. It's for us. It's for each of us and for all of us. 
It's personal. But it's never private. And here's why. Because it's for all the people. Now, we are constantly being told that faith is a private matter. Now, I think what that actually means is the people who say faith is a private matter, I think what they're actually saying to us is keep it to yourself. But Christmas is intended to be really good news to a perplexed world. Here's something else. Growing up, uh, I grew up in a Pentecostal church, and I was sort of raised in church, and the only translation of the Bible that we ever used was the King James Version. Anybody with me? Okay, here we go. Now, while the language is certainly not something that we actually use today, there are times when I actually miss the King James version of the Bible. It's funny because, you know, when you're kind of raised in it, you know, that's all you've ever heard. Every time I go to quote a, a scripture verse, I have to, the first thing that comes to my mind is the King James version of it. Now, so there are times that I actually miss the King James version of the Bible, and this is one of those times. Now, Luke chapter 2, verse 14, which is part of our text, in the King James, reads this way. Glory to God in the highest. That's that song we sang in Excelsis Deo. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward man or goodwill toward humanity. Now, one of the things that I love saying to people, especially at Christmas, and especially to people who are non-Christians, and also to people who have a negative, warped, misinformed idea and view of who God is. This is what I love to do. I love to say to them that God has goodwill toward you. That God's primary posture and God's primary disposition toward you, toward me, toward us, Christ follower and non-Christ follower, you ready? Is goodwill. And when I say that to people who are non-Christians and people who have a twisted, warped understanding of who God is, I love the surprise on their face. I love catching them by surprise because he does. A lot of people, a lot of people have a sense of God that is vague, blurred, random, small, trivial, warped, twisted, and false. But the angel song is a thundering prophetic exclamation, behold, God is strong, God is loving, creative, wise, and it is the truth that God has goodwill toward us, toward you. No, not the person next to you, you. Not the guy or the girl that you think is a better person. No, you, 
You, with all of your baggage, with all of your stuff, you, me. And that brings us then to the eternal message of Christmas. Verse 11 says, for unto you, unto you, unto you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. A Savior has been born. Now, there are three titles that are given in this text, verse 11, about who Jesus is. First of all, it's said that he is a Savior, that God has come down to earth. Now, if you know anything about the Bible, you know that God has come down to earth before. He came down at Sodom, and that was a bad deal. And he came down at Sinai, and that was certainly a scary deal. But God has never come down as the Savior. Now, in the past, God has come down, and he has provided small s saviors, like Moses and Gideon and Saul and David. But I want to just sort of, as a side, note their status. Moses is born of a family of slaves. Gideon is from one of the poorest families in the tribe of Manasseh. Saul is from a family who is the least in Benjamin. And David was considered the least in his family who this prophet Samuel didn't even think that he should be numbered in the suggestion that he might be the next king. And Jesus, of course, the Savior, was born as an infant in absolute humility. Now, what is it about God that he loves humility? What is it about him that he loves humility? Now, here's something else. Have you ever thought about why it is that Caesar Augustus is actually named in the Christmas story? And we read it all the time, right? When Caesar Augustus was emperor, he put out a census. We read it all the time. But have you ever thought about why Luke chapter 2 verse 1 mentions the great Caesar Augustus. Now, there's a couple of things you need to know here for background. First of all, is that Luke wants to establish, he wants to tell us about the geopolitical setting of Jesus' birth, and he wants to establish that Jesus' birth is actually a historical fact. It is an historical event. But what Luke doesn't tell us is that there's a play on words. You see, Caesar Augustus is not his real name. His real name is Gaius Octavius. And Gaius Octavius wanted to take the name Caesar Augustus because he saw himself as a god and saw himself as the savior of the world. It means exalted one. Gaius Octavius thought of himself 
as some sort of exalted being. And what a turnaround. Jesus' birth, not Caesar Augustus, is a time of celebration. I love this quote. And you've heard me quote it before, that Caesar, Charlemagne, and Napoleon all built their kingdoms by force. Jesus is the only one who built his kingdom on love, and his is the only one still standing. You see, Christmas calls us, you and me, to choose. To make a choice between two saviors, two rulers, two kingdoms. The world's and God's. Christmas calls us to make a choice between glory to men and glory to God. Now, the second title is interesting. It says, for unto us is born this day, or unto you, rather, is born this day, in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ. Now, someone told me a while ago, or I read a while ago, that a lot of people who are non-Christians think that Christ is Jesus' last name, his surname. Now, I'm not saying that to be cute or to be humorous. It's just what it is. But what most people don't know is that Christ is a title. It's not a name. It's not a surname. It's not a last name. It's a title. And Christ means literally the anointed one. The word, the Jewish word Messiah also means the anointed one. It is used 350 times in the New Testament alone. And the point that is being made here is that Jesus Christ, who was born in Bethlehem, and the Messiah that the Jewish people are still looking for, is in fact the same person. He's the same person. That brings us then to the third title. For unto you, unto you, and you, and you, and you, is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, when we say Jesus is Lord, what we're really saying is this. We're saying that Jesus is God. When I say Jesus is Lord, it's saying that Jesus is I'm saying that Jesus is God. When the scripture says that Jesus is Lord, it's saying to us that Jesus is God. That's why the angels worshipped him. Somebody wrote this. The angels filled the night with light and the air with music. And well, that's it. They worshipped couldn't they have done something more useful? Mary could have used a bed. And Joseph certainly could have benefited from an angelic escort back to Nazareth. And Jesus certainly needed a bassinet. They were angels. I mean, didn't they know better? Then again, they were angels. And who knew Jesus better than they. Those who knew Jesus best loved him dearest, and those who followed him the longest gave him the gift of worship. 
To worship is to ascribe worth to someone. And the fact that Jesus is Lord means that Jesus is God. Now, let's put together the title we mentioned earlier, the Savior, with this title of Jesus being the Lord. And what it tells us is that salvation belongs to God. That salvation comes from heaven downward, not earth upward. That the gift is not from humanity to God, but from God to humanity. And Jesus Christ is the Lord. And every time someone or anyone accepts him as the Savior, or their Savior, he is crowned the Lord over and over again. Just as when the crown is placed on Queen Elizabeth and she is declared sovereign, every time we say Jesus Christ is the Lord or Jesus Christ is Lord, we crown him over and over again in our hearts and minds declaring that he is the sovereign Lord. That's the eternal message of Christmas. And then finally, we come to the earthly message. In verse 12, it says, And this will be a sign for you, a sign for you, you, and you, and you. You, and you, and you, will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Now, there is a complexity and a simplicity in the incarnation. And the, its complexity is seen in texts like 1 Timothy 3.16, where Paul writes, Great indeed is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh. He was vindicated by the Spirit. He was seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, and believed on in the world and taken up into glory. God, in, through, and as Jesus Christ, became a real human being. A real human person. And Jesus had a human body, like you and I, with all of our limitations. He was tired, he was hungry, he was thirsty, he died. Jesus also had a human psyche with all of the emotions that we have. He got angry, he cried, he laughed. And Jesus took up our sinful nature without being sinful himself. Think about it. He was utterly dependent. Just as James Davis Manuel is utterly dependent On Jessica, Jesus is dependent on Mary. 25 years ago, Max Delcato came up with 25 questions for Mary. Let me read some of them to you. What was it like watching him pray? How did he respond when he saw other kids giggling during the service at the synagogue? 
When he saw rainbow, did he ever mention a flood? Did you ever feel awkward about teaching him about the creation of the world? When he saw lamb being led to the slaughter, how did he act? Did you ever see him with a distant look on his face, as if he were listening to someone you couldn't hear? How did he act at funerals? Did the thought ever occur to you that the God to whom you were praying was asleep under your own roof? Did you ever try to count the stars with him and succeed? Did he ever come home with a black eye? How did he act when he got his first haircut? Did he have any friends by the name of Judas? How, did he, how well did he do in school? Did you ever scold him? Did he ever ask you a question about the scriptures? Did he ever get angry when somebody was dishonest with him? Did you ever catch him pensively looking at the flesh on his own arm while holding a clod of dirt? Did he ever wake up afraid? Who was his best friend? When somebody mentioned Satan, how did he act? Did you ever accidentally call him father? How did he and his... Or rather, what did he and his cousin John talk about as kids? Did his other brothers and sisters understand what was happening? And then it ends with this one. Mary, did you ever think to yourself, that's God eating my soup? Trying to get our heads around the incarnation of God in Jesus Christ is impossible. It's very complex. Yet in another way, it's incredibly simple. Its simplicity is equally amazing. And this will be a sign for you that you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger, that God's Son, the Messiah, the Christ, is born. But God's sign is that you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. A real baby in a manger. A manger for a cradle with his little clenched fist. Somebody compared the complexity of the incarnation to a symphony with all of its majesty and power and magnificence and the simplicity of the incarnation to a folk song with just simple and earthy. And he lost nothing of his Godhead, his eternal character, his divine attributes or purity. He was still the symphony, the eternal Son of God. But as a folk song, he was a real human person, a real human being, entering into the human experience the only way he could, the only way we all Eugene Peterson says this, 
God starts out where we start out. A child is born. And he submerges himself in our biology and our psychology and in our history. And he becomes one of us that we may become what he is. And John put it a little bit different. John said these words. He said, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of only of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Christmas. It's Christmas Eve. I want to invite the musicians to come. And as they come, I want to read a poem to you. But I want you to close your eyes first. Can you do that? I won't keep you long. Just close your eyes first. If you're watching online at home, I want you to close your eyes too. And I, want, I, I was rifling through my files. I was doing some file cleaning up over these last couple of weeks. And I stumbled upon this poem that I had totally forgotten about. I don't even know who wrote it, but it's a good poem. And so I want you to just enjoy it, and I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to listen. It's called, If You Look For Me At Christmas. If You Look For Me At Christmas. And this is what it says. If you look for me at Christmas, you won't need a special star. I'm no longer just in Bethlehem. I'm right there where you are. You may not be aware of me amid the celebrations. You'll have the look beyond the stores and all the decorations. But if you take a moment from your list of things to do, and listen to your heart, you'll find, I'm waiting there for you. And the last stanza goes like this. You're the one I want to be with. You're the reason that I came. And you'll find me in the stillness as I'm whispering your name. Isn't that good? Now, I don't know where you're at this Christmas season. I know that if you're anything like it is at our place, it's crazy. They were telling me, I was listening to the news feed on, on, thir- on Friday. And on Friday, they were telling us that there would be 600,000 transactions a second. A second. Pretty crazy. And, and, if you're a Christ follower already, and maybe, maybe we too, I mean, we're, we're able to get caught up in the non-Christmas reality of Christmas. And maybe if you're a non-Christian, that this is the first time you've ever thought that there might be another version of what Christmas really means. 
So I want you to stand with me. And Aaron's going to put the words on the screen. And I want to read it to you again. And this time I want you to look and I want you to listen. If you look for me at Christmas. If you look for me at Christmas, you won't need a special star. I'm no longer just in Bethlehem. I'm right there where you are. Did you hear that? He's with you. No matter where we are, whether things are going fabulous or it feels like the bottom end of your world has dropped out, he's right there where you are. You may not be aware of me amid the celebrations. You'll have to look beyond the stores and all the decorations. But if you take a moment from your list of things to do and listen to your heart, you'll find I'm waiting there for you. And then finally, you're the one I want to be with. You're the reason that I came. And you'll find me in the stillness as I'm whispering your name. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for us. Father, I pray in this quiet moment that are in our own hearts that Lord that we will be aware that you are waiting for us there that no matter what our difficulty no matter what our life circumstances are at this moment you're there where we are and Father may we be reminded that you're whispering our name. And I ask now, Father, in the name of Jesus and for his namesake, that you would whisper our names in our own hearts, in our own spirits, in our heart of hearts, in the deepest part of who we are. Todd, I want you to say your name out loud. Just say your name out loud. Say it out loud. Now. Say say it quietly in your own heart. Lord, let the whisper of your voice Speak into our hearts and into our lives. For we give you praise and we give you thanks. That you said that your disposition, your posture toward us is goodwill. Good will. And as we leave this place, and as we celebrate with family and friends, or as we Spend quiet time alone. Let us hear and be reminded of good 
goodwill that you have toward us. And this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.